Welcome back to another episode of Life in the Urban City Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Huda. Today, I'm joined by one of our staff and one of her colleagues and friends in the community, um, and known for a while. So um, you guys might remember Nora Jacobs. She's been here a handful of times. So Nora, welcome back to Life in the Urban City Podcast. And I'd love Paul. for you to introduce uh, your friend. Thank you. I'm honored to introduce my friend. This is Todd Coburn. Todd and I have known one another for a minute Uh in prison settings and outside of prison settings. So I think it's an honor for us to be able to hear your story today, Todd. Thank you. Yeah, welcome, sure. Todd. And so today we're, we're, um, we're talking about the National Drug and Alcohol Addiction Recovery Month. We know it's a big deal in the urban city. We know a lot of our kids struggle with it. A lot of their mm-hmm. parents, um, they see addicts all the time. Um, it's just, you know, a part of being in this city of Pomona. And so Todd's here to share a little bit about his experience as well as to, to empower and to encourage individuals in the community to seek different options. And so I just want to open up to you, Todd. Do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself, who you are, and your experiences with drugs and alcohol and the addiction process? Um, I guess to start off, I would say that um, I have been clean and sober for over 19 years now. All right. Um, that's very important yeah. um, for me and I, as part of this topic. Um, I had a long history with um, struggles with drugs and alcohol starting at about 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually it turned into a heroin addiction and it led to several prison sentences and um, quite a few years in prison. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for, for sharing that. And um how how did being incarcerated affect your addiction and recovery journey? Well, in the beginning, um, it all it did was maybe slow my addiction mm. down a little bit. Mm. But I continued to uh, drink and use while I was in prison yeah. until finally, um, about nine years into um, a life sentence that I ended up serving almost twenty five years on. Um, I finally got tired enough, and um, and I finally became willing to listen to some input from some other people that maybe knew a little bit more than me, mm-hmm. and I started following the path of the 12 steps. Wow. It, and so I know for those who aren't very familiar with the carceral system, um, there's that misconception of, oh, like, we'll just send them to jail to get clean. But that's not necessarily true, right? Drug, drugs and alcohol are ready, readily available in most of all the California prisons that I've been in, and I've been in quite a few. Okay. And then, so knowing knowing that misconception is false, right? We can't say, like, oh, you know, Paul has an addiction as a family member. Let's just get him locked up because he could get clean there because he's not around drugs. What What is the... What, what would you encourage or like to say to people is like, no, like there, there's a better way than just being locked up. Because again, as you said, they're prevalent there. And it, for some people it might be worse because they don't have family and people to keep them away from it. So what would you say is a better option? The better option I think is to educate people um, as early in life as possible to mm-hmm. educate them and let them know where this path is is likely to lead. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and what brought you to decide that yeah. you wanted to change, that you wanted to move into recovery? Was uh, it a simple process? 
complicated process. It was not a simple process, and it didn't happen all at once, and I didn't just decide one day that, oh, I'm going to stop using drugs and my life is going to change. It was that I was just so tired of living the way that I was living, and I, and I, you know, got to a point where I didn't like the guy in the mirror anymore. Mm. I didn't like that person. Yeah. I didn't like who I'd become, mm-hmm. and I wanted something different. I just didn't know how to do it. And um, someone invited me to a twelve-step meeting, and very slowly, you know, things started to change. Mm. I didn't go to that first meeting thinking, "Oh, this is the answer, and my life's mm-hmm. going to change." and it wasn't like that. I went to the meeting out of desperation, but I continued going back to the meetings and slowly things started to change and I started hearing what they were talking about and I started seeing some people in there that I saw, I knew from um, prior um, prison yards that we were on together and I seen that they had, their lives had changed. Mm-hmm. Their lives had improved. They weren't living that miserable life that I was still living and that's what really attracted me to the program was. And how did the journey go? I'm going to make um, with my hand a straight line, and it goes from lower, lower to upper, right? So was that the kind of journey that it is or that you had? It was just my experience. Everybody has their own experience um, with the 12-step programs and um, – you know, there's a saying in the program, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's different for everybody. It's a personal thing. It's a very personal thing. And, um, you know, mine was more slowly and quickly. <laughs> yeah. But it was definitely progressive. And um, I was, you know, always headed in a positive. Once I started down that road, it was always headed in a positive direction sometimes. You know, I got slowed down a little bit or took a couple steps back, but I was always headed in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was, I was determined. Once I had a little bit of sobriety under my belt, I was determined that I wasn't going to go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wasn't sure of the way forward. So I just followed these people that um, had already traveled that path. Mm-hmm. And so what, what are the moments that stand out for you in your recovery journey? Um, I would say one of the one of the big um, you know forks in the road was when I got to that fourth step that some people have heard about and know about, and it's where you uh, searching a fearless moral inventory, which is basically writing about our life story, mm-hmm. about all of it, mm-hmm. you know, and um, we all have secrets that we don't want to share whether that's things that we did to other people or things that other people did to us. And that was scary. And I wasn't Mm -hmm. sure that I was going to be able to do that. And um, finally, when it it boiled down to it, um, again, I didn't want to go back to what I had, and so I became willing to write it all down in that fourth step. And in the fifth step, I shared it with my sponsor. Mm. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, for those who aren't familiar with the 12 steps, I can imagine how powerful that is. Um, and it, it sounds like most people, and again, for those who aren't familiar with people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol, a lot of times they have had a life experiences that they use drugs as an outlet, right? Like, and I guess, I don't know if you're comfortable answering, like for you, 
what was the causation of why you dabbled? And you mentioned early on as like as young as eleven, right? Because some kids that we're working with, you know, they're they're eleven years old. They're dabbling with it as well. Um, yeah. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Again, you don't have to go deep into yeah. it. Just um, in the in the some of the literature of the twelve steps, it talks about that the drinking and the drugs is just the symptom of the problem. Mm-hmm. So for most of us. There is underlying issues yeah. that we need to deal with, and, and a lot of time we're not even aware of them. I wasn't aware of them mm-hmm. at the time. I just knew that I had to put something in my body to change how I felt. But as I did that inventory and started becoming more aware of myself and what was going on with me, um, there was I grew up in a um, very violent um, home mm-hmm. between my parents, mm-hmm. um, not towards us so much, but... Um, you know, stabbings and broken bones and different things like that between them, very early age. Um, and so that had an effect on me and it, you know, it continued through my childhood. So it affected me and I was always had this sense of fear and this sense of unease. And, um, and then something happened to me when, um, when I was 12 years old and that also had an effect on me, and I didn't talk to anybody about it. I didn't feel like I had anybody to talk to about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back, I would say the best thing that I could have done for myself was to talk to somebody about it. There were people I just didn't trust anybody. So mm-hmm. I would say that, um, you know, for somebody that is young and that has things going on that in their life that, that, you know, there, there. Are, I know there are opportunities. There are always opportunities for somebody that we can trust and we can talk about things um, if we look for them, if we're open to it. Mm-hmm. And so, I would say, talk about it, whatever it is. Wow. Was your behavior signaling in any way? My experience with young people that age is that sooner or later, usually sooner, there starts to be something that signals that all is not well. And and then it's the delicate task of figuring out when to ask and how to ask and just to listen. Is um, there any, anyone like that for you? Well, I mean, obviously the drinking, you know, at such an early age. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the first time I drank, I drank until I blacked out and until I got sick, until I passed out. Wow. So if anybody was paying attention, you know, that happening yeah. on a regular basis would have been a a good sign, but not too many people were paying attention. Mm. Um, But also I was just extremely introverted um, and, you know, couldn't, Mm -hmm. didn't trust people and didn't want to talk to people, especially older people. So that might've been a sign for somebody. Do you ever open up and share, share some peers about it as well? Cause I know sometimes our youth, Mm -hmm. they, they see each other as like support systems and they're like, Hey, like, here's another kid that I know, you know, Jimmy down the street that, you know, we've grown up and just talk about. Was that an outlet for you at all? Or were you just more, as you mentioned earlier, introverted, kept it to yourself, drank away the pain? Yeah, for some reason, um, I, I don't remember my parents, you know, expressing it to us directly, but somehow or other, I just knew that it, it wasn't supposed to be talked about outside the house. Mm. And um, so I just didn't do it. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing that. Yeah, thank you, Todd. So 
what do you do today when you're tempted to use? Or I, I don't want to ask a closed-ended question but, <laughs> about temptation, but um, does temptation ever stop? And, and then, then what? Well, I'll say that, um, you know, over, over years mm-hmm. of sobriety, um, it gets easier. Mm-hmm. It does get easier. But the temptation or the thoughts, for mm-hmm. me at least, have never totally gone away. Yeah. Um, but I remember when, you know, when I first got sober, those first days were just excruciating. It was just an obsession and mm-hmm. very difficult to get through. And I wondered, like, is this ever going to change? Mm-hmm. And um, those others that had walked down the path assured me that it was going to change. And, and it does change. But there's tools that we learn along the way. And one of them is talking about it. You know, that's one of them. And um, turning to a higher power, whatever it is that we believe in. Writing about things, um, you know, going to going to a meeting and just being in a meeting with other people that are on the same path. Mm-hmm. Thank you. One of the things I noticed really clearly about you when you and I were co-facilitating, and then you were in facilitating another group, and I was facilitating another group of the victim offender education groups in prison, was how proactive you were about encouraging people um, in their recovery journey. So would you talk a little bit about first what FIRST means and what it is and what you're doing? Um, Well, it stands for Friends in Recovery Standing Together. And um, when um, at one point they opened up a, a different yard and um, the, all the inmates that got there was just an influx of all new inmates there. And the yard wasn't set up to, you know, quote, program. They didn't have, you know, a operating system going on. And there was little or nothing set up for people in recovery, people that wanted to stay sober and needed that support. Yeah. And um, there was a few of us that, you know, had a little bit of a foundation and we decided, well, what if we start our own? Mm. And um, so that when other people need that, it'll be there for them. And that's what we did in 2015. um, We actually implemented first and it started happening and um, it really took off. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it took off so well? Simple uh, answer would be God. That is a simple answer. The human side of it, I'd like to say, is is when you all empower each other. This is what I've seen in my 10 years inside, that when you empower each other, it it's magic because part of the human journey is we don't empower ourselves or others don't empower us enough over time. And so the teen, the preteen to the teenager to the young adult to the adult ends up having this deficit of not knowing who they are and what they're capable of in a positive way. Mm. I'm not sure. um, There's there's not a question in there. There's a reflection in there. (laughs) But, but okay, so let me me make it more, (laughs) sorry too, because I've watched you and the first program grow and the peer-to-peer groups are are just amazingly powerful. So would you talk about some of the people who are who or who have been your supporters in recovery? Oh, there's 
hundreds of them, if not thousands. Um, you know, one of my beliefs in life is that we don't do anything on our own. Mm-hmm. We may feel like we are, like, you know, yeah. people create a corporation and they build it up and they're like, look what I did. But, or, you know, people go to school and like, I earned a degree in education, yeah. but we don't do that alone. Mm-hmm. We don't, people support us, people encourage us, you know, sometimes emotionally, financially, spiritually, whatever it is. And so, you know, and you have been one of my big supporters, Nora. And, um, and I appreciate that. And, um, you know, Father George out of uh, Los Angeles, huge supporter. Um, my sister, um, yeah, major supporter um, just in my journey of, um, you know, headed in, heading in a positive direction. And my recently um, deceased girlfriend, um, again, you know, huge, huge supporter and, encouraged me so much just to do things um, outside of my comfort zone that I didn't feel like I was capable of doing. And, and one of those things was first. Yeah. So, so I can mm-hmm. go back to that and I'm just hearing. So you're, were you one of the founders and creators of first? There was, there was four of us that um, all four of us were lifers and mm-hmm. we got together and started doing this thing. And um, we've all since um, paroled from prison um, I'm the only one that followed up with it, and I eventually um, wrote the curriculum and had it copywritten. And so now um, the, the dream when we first started first <laughs> yeah. was always to get it onto other prison yards, but obviously as inmates, how are we going to get a program mm-hmm. onto another prison yard? Do something to say, hey, switch me, <laughs> switch me yards, switch me, uh, you know. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> so what finally has happened is that after three and a half years of being out and being on this journey and mm-hmm. and I'm having employment as a drug and alcohol counselor mm-hmm. um, I was finally allowed into another prison mm-hmm. um, wow. besides the one that I came from and um, at, two months ago and we started first on that yard wow congratulations that's amazing and now you're about to start or have, have you started in the in the prison where you and I first met? Um, it's it's uh, in the process. It, I haven't actually gone in and started, but the flyers are up and people are signing up for the group. And then we're going to go in, in the next couple of weeks and start it. Wow! They're super excited. There's something really powerful about your giving back. Someone from that community who is in the free world coming back and sharing. That's awesome. That is amazing. Go Go for it. No, 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 go. Um, When I first went back into prison, um, it's been a little (laughs) over two years now from when I first walked onto that yard, and I was really Mm -hmm. nervous um, about walking onto the yard, and I knew that there was going to be questions and people were going to ask stuff, and um, I was probably going to have to make a little speech as we went back into this um, group that we were doing you know, about what it's like being out and everything, and so... Father George, you know, <coughs> one of my mentors um, that I look up to and admire greatly. Um, I said, I don't know what to say, George. What, you know, what if I screw it all up and I say something wrong? Mm-hmm. And he said, Todd, you, you can't say anything wrong. He said, just you walking on that yard mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. them seeing you wow. as a person that paroled from this life sentence and coming back in is the message in itself. Yeah. That's the message. Wow. That's amazing. And, and then... 
Um, I kind of want to follow up with, so is your goal eventually to um, move on to other yards and be all throughout the entire state or? That is the ultimate goal. Um, I've actually, not me again, well, I mean, we um, have actually created a nonprofit organization called First in Prison Incorporated. Okay. And um, it is actually just got the final letter from the IRS saying that we are tax exempt. That was the awesome. final stage of that process. Yeah. Was able to do that through watching many YouTube videos. <laughs> it's a long process and yes, it, yeah. complicated, but YouTube is amazing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I got to give them kudos and part of, you know, the assistance I have made in this journey. And um, so we are a nonprofit organization. We have a bank account with $750 in it. And um, so the the ultimate goal is to, you know, get this nonprofit going and be able to get enough um, money to work with so that I can actually um, pay, have employees. Wow. That people that have gone through first mm. and that have come out of prison. Wow. And they will become employees and they will go on to prison yards wow. and um, facilitate first. That, that's so amazing. We'll connect after this because I'm not sure if Nora saw, but there's a new grant that just got announced through the right program. <laughs> and I think partnering with you would be perfect for this because they could give a lot of upstart funding for organizations and programs like this because they want something that is unique. And hearing this, like, me and Nora talk about prison all the time, which is <laughs> whenever Nora comes in and talking, I was like, hey, Nora, I got, um, I got like 10 more questions about prison um, because she's, she's there two, three times a week. <laughs> Five times a week. Five times a week. And just hearing about it every day, and it's like, man, there's so that's an untapped resource and there's so many people that could benefit from such amazing stuff like this and just hearing it like it just excites me gets me it gets my creative juices flowing of like how can i help and and so for those who are listening like you heard him mention his nonprofit. todd mentioned his nonprofit. you could reach out to todd that way because i assume you want people to connect with you want volunteers. Eventually, you want paid staff uh, to go in, and like, I don't, man, I just, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I, I'm just so ecstatic to hear this. Had no idea this is where this conversation is going to go. But um, for someone I just met you, like, I'm proud to see and to hear this of this life journey, and to know that you know you added another friend along that life journey to help support you in your efforts. So I just want to say that. So Thank you. Yeah. Do you have a website? We have a website, firstinprison.com. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. So people can go looking for you. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Good. And there's a donate button there, right? No, I haven't. we haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> well, again, we'll, we'll, we'll get connected after this. I would love to help any way I can or set up, help my, have my team help you um, because – that's literally one of the side things I love to do is help other nonprofits because as you mentioned, no one tells us these things you learned via YouTube. Um, our boss just Googled, right? Like there's so much out there that we're never taught. We're never expected to know or we're expected to know all these things, but there's no one walking us along these, these paths. And so there's a reason why 
some change never happens is because they never set it up for success. And to see that you created this 501c3, you have $750 in the bank account, <laughs> that's better than most. And we're, we're, we're here to help you yeah. along that journey for the next steps. We're, we're here for step number two. <laughs> Since you're, 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 you're first, we'll be here to help you for number two. Should you wish it. Yeah. As, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to force myself or anything. Like, <laughs> Thank you. But, you know, you have a friend here to help support. Um, people who are listening would love to help support, I can imagine. And, yeah, it's just been amazing to hear hear this. And, and I want to go back to you, Nora. I'm not sure if you have any questions because I have one other question for you. But I really, I know Nora has a lot of stuff that goes through her mind, too. So, have you thought about where you want to be in five years? You know, the, that's always a question. Like, how far do you want to grow this? Um, to be honest, I really have no idea. I just, um, there was this repeated um, refrain from people around me that you need to start your own nonprofit, you need to start mm -hmm. your own profit. And for me, when I hear that, you know, many times I believe that's God talking to me. Yeah. And I have no idea where this is going, and I don't know why that I needed to do this. I just listened to those voices, and um, I did it to the best of my ability. And I believe that there definitely is a path, and um, I just have to be waiting to be led down that path. Yeah, or invited to lead down that path. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. No, just um, I think as we wrap up, what do you want our listeners to know and to think about? And, and work differently around as they're with young people in particular, but anyone who's on in the struggle of addiction and recovery? Um, the biggest message I could possibly carry is that um, you don't have to live that way. Mm -hmm. There is another way to do this thing. You don't have to do that, even though maybe it feels like you have to do that. Mm -hmm. There are people that want to help you there are people that are willing to help you um you just have to reach out you have to keep your eyes open um you know they have google for a reason you can google for help as well mm -hmm. if, whether it's drugs alcohol whatever it is um there's help and if you um if you are willing to accept the help there's people that want to help you and there's, you know, I don't care how far down the road you've gone or how bad it is or how ugly it is or how, how much you hate yourself, how much you, little you think of yourself. Um, it's not true. Mm. It's not true because I was there. And so that's my message is that I was there and change can happen. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Todd. Yeah, that's amazing. You took my question, Nora, so <laughs> it's okay. I did. It's okay. And, and so, again, for those hearing and what's going on is, you know, if you need someone, there's a lot of people here at Justice for Youth in your community that it, they just are here to listen, to support, yeah. and to help, right? Um, as Todd said, there's Google. Google, reach out. Social media, we're there for all the youth out there. For adults that are struggling, there's adult programs, people out there. We could even reach out to us. We'll connect you. Like, we might not be the source, nor go for it. What I was going to add to that is that we may look pretty respectable from the outside, mm -hmm. but the reality is that many, many of us at Justice for Youth have been on similar journeys. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. um, 
I guess I would hope that people don't judge any of us by our covers. Yeah. You know, in the reach out. You know, definitely. You know, we, we really hire um, from lived experience and want, want to represent our community well. So, yeah, just wrapping up for those youth out there, right? Reach out, connect. Um, there's also a hotline, not specifically for drug and alcohol, but, you know, for people to talk to, 988, I believe is the new number. It is. And so, you know, that's not us, but they're there to hear and to talk and help. Yeah. Um, you know, youth workers, you know, just be willing to be a voice and, and an ear to listen. Um, sometimes this is the best time to just be quiet and to hear. Um, because there's a lot going on in people's minds and wanting to share stuff. But if you're talking, it stunts them, or, you know, stops them from talking. So mm-hmm. sometimes we just got to listen. So um, parents, you know, you might not be the main resource that they connect with, and that's okay. That's totally okay. But you want to encourage your kids to find a place to reach out and connect with. So thank you so much for tuning in today to Life in the Urban City podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Thank you.